You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Well, it's been an exciting opportunity to prepare for this, and, and uh, I've grown a lot. As Usually when I preach um, and study, I'm, first of all, preaching to myself. So um, I've repented a lot, and I've raised my hand a lot, came to the altar a lot, and no, I'm joking. Um, <clears throat> it's just been a good, really good word, and um, I just thank you for the privilege to, to do this, and um, and I'm excited to see the other elders as well come up and, and, and lead and, and teach. So, um, Rock, I'm ready for you. And Johnny, so John, so get ready. So. <laughs> but anyway, um, we've been looking through the journey of the people of Israel. And um, if, there's a map I want to show you up here. They've been going through the wilderness. How many years have they been doing this? Do you know? 40. It's a long time. I'm 43. So uh, that's a long time to be in the desert. So uh, um, you can see they're coming to an end. We're on the right side of the Jordan River, right across from Jericho. And uh, this is kind of where they are. They're overlooking the Pentateuch. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. And um, it's the book that Moses wrote. It's in uh, Greek. It's uh, Deuteronomy. I can't even pronounce it. Deuteronomion which is the second law. Moses was giving the second law to the people. Most of those who are there, you know, were, they're just grown up in the desert. So they weren't there from the beginning. They didn't see the Passover. They weren't there for the giving of the first law. So Moses was having to give a recount, a telling again. So this is where we are. So this is also the changing of the guard. Moses is about to give it to, to Joshua, the leadership. Moses is soon going to be dying. And so um, it's a beautiful place, actually. Imagine Moses, you know, he's up on mount, mountain there seeing, seeing the, where they're supposed to be going. I wonder what, how he felt, you know, maybe a little disappointed, but, but um, it's a beautiful place. But they're getting ready to go in. So this is where we are. Is Moses was telling them how to prepare before they go in. So we're going to be coming, covering, because it's... T- the only sermon we're doing on Deuteronomy, I'm going to be focusing in on chapter 8, but we're going to kind of be pulling a few things throughout the book as well. And so it's a wonderful book. Uh, how, how, how many of you are, have been enjoying just the reading plan we're going through? It's a really wonderful opportunity to really dig into the Word. I'm going to encourage you to do that even more. Probably at the end of this sermon, you'll see the reason why we should be diving in more. But but it's a wonderful opportunity. I also want to encourage you to go back when you're fin- we finish the whole reading plan. Just keep diving in, because as you go through the Word, you, you see so many wonderful things there, and how it ties in with the New Testament. Um, when you study like Leviticus, when you study all the different sacrifices that's there, how everything, every minute detail points to Christ. When you just dive in, you really begin to see and, and are blown away of God, how he orchestrated this whole book coming together and how wonderful it is and how glorious we see Christ throughout the Old Testament. So we're going to see a lot of Christ in Deuteronomy, but, <clears throat> but let's begin with prayer, shall we? Lord, I just pray that you move in a mighty way. I pray that you increase and I decrease. Lord, I know I am nothing and I just t- totally depend upon you. I pray, give us all ears to hear and may your name be exalted in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to read 
all of chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And before we begin, I want to just uh, let you know there's a few key words I want you to pay attention to. How many children are here? Raise your hand if you're a child or who want to be a child again. Okay. <clears throat> now I want to kind of challenge you um, to really pay attention to some of these key words. Remember is a key word, and also don't forget, or just forget. What's the opposite of forget? Very good. So we're going to see these two words. So I want you guys, maybe half the church, half the kids this side, I want you to count how many times you hear the word remember, and the other kids on this side, count how many times you hear the word forget, okay? And you adults, maybe you can help them too, but um, let's dive in, Okay. The whole, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give you to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he may humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your, your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man dis disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs flowing out in the valley and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of those hills you can dig copper." You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now we're going to see some warnings here. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you hear, uh, sorry, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your hearts and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be filled up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flint rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may co um, confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. So, 
How many times did you hear the word remember? Do you guys know? Two. Very good. Such good students here. Uh, what about forget? Ah, oh, you guys. Did, did, you, did like, someone tell you before that uh, we were doing this? I don't know. You guys are good. All right. So this is such a key theme we, want to see, we see in this text. Now, there's a, um, a few things I want us to look at. First of all, just kind of where we're going with this. Um, in this message, I want us to focus on what are we to remember? Why is it so important to remember? How do we remember? We're, we look at some practical ways. And then also the consequences if we do not remember. remember. So <clears throat> let's dive in. First of all, what are we to remember? We see it clearly in verse 2. Remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. Well, first of all, they're wanting to, Moses is wanting them to see who God is, what he has done for them, and also that life comes from him. That's so, so important. In the, the first four verses, kind of Moses, actually this, this whole, through this whole chapter, Moses gives some highlights of kind of their history, kind of what they did, what they went through. And he wants them to remember these very important things. First of all, we see that in verse 2, it says how he led them through the desert. He was like a shepherd to them. God was like a wonderful, caring shepherd. You know, they, they followed the, the pillar of cloud uh, by day and the fire by night. He was leading and guiding them. And like a loving shepherd leading them exactly where they're supposed to go. Also a loving shepherd disciplining them. And it says he humbled you in verse 2 basically breaking their pride and their self-dependence, what they've lived and experienced in Egypt for so long. He was willing to break them and humble them. And it says he tested them in verse 2. He wanted them to see what was in their heart. The desert really exposed their rebellion. Have you any guys been through a desert? It feels like you've been through a desert and life is tough. Didn't you see most of the sin come out and it's exposed during those difficult times? Let me see your hand. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> but that's usually the time in the desert your sin is exposed the most. So that's exactly what, they, what happened here. And you see here also it says, he fed you and watered you. I'm thirsty. Hang on. And um, basically they were utterly dependent on God for everything. Now imagine how much food would it take to feed about two million people every day? I know Sarah is involved, a lot of the admin here. Sarah, where are you? How do you think it would make you feel if you had to like kind of structure and arrange things? How many taco trucks am I going to need, you know, to feed two million people every day? So that would be a lot to, uh, to take in, a lot to handle. Pretty sure Sarah, well, maybe she could, I don't know probably do it, but no, I'm joking. But I think uh, a study had done by, the, I think, the Army Corps of Engineers, what would it would take, and it was like a train two miles long, all the carts stacked up two miles long to feed that many people every day. That's a lot of taco trucks. So, <clears throat> so anyway, we see God provided for them. They were totally dependent upon God. We see he sustained their clothes. I wish he would sustain my children's clothes, make them stretch as well, but I guess if he stopped feeding them, but, um, um, and also it says 
Their feet did not swell. I mean, he sustained everything for them. God is amazing. So Moses is wanting them to remember this. And in the last half, verses 14, 15, and 16, we see kind of a repeat. A few things are new. It says, he delivered you from slavery in verse 14. Out of slavery and bondage, he led you through the terrifying wilderness. He mentioned a lot of snakes were there, fiery snakes. I would hate that. It says he watered you. He's he repeating this again. He watered you. He fed you. He humbled and tested you. Now, it's interesting here. In verse 16, it says um, how he tested and humbled them. But it also says that um, to do you good in the end. He, that's added there. Now, you have to think, 40 years in the desert? What, is, what could be good about that? That'd be hard to grasp if you were just reading this story. How can that be good for me? But it's clear, it says, he did it to do them good in the end. Question, what good can come out of this humbling? We see very clearly in verse 3. In verse 2, it says, he tested you. But in verse 3, it says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is so key, so crucial, what we have to remember. The greatest good that God could ever do for them, for us, is to let us know that true life comes from God. Man is to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to be hovering around this passage, this, this, this verse for a bit. But um, over and over and over, they were commanded to remember God, remember his ways. We look back, even in Deuteronomy 6, they were commanded to teach it to their children. Speak on it whenever you're sitting in the house, when you're walking, when you're going down the road, when you raise up or rise up, when you lie down. That pretty much covers the whole day, pretty much. So teaching it to your children, bringing it up, reminding yourself of it over and over and over, going it over in your mind, getting it fresh in your mind. They were to do this daily, to grow in the fear of the Lord, grow and to obey him, grow to live for him, live for his glory. That's what they were supposed to do. He was to be their source of life. They were to remember him and dwell and focus on every word that comes from God. Matthew Henry's commentary puts it this way, only, God only gave them the bare necessities. They ate the same food every day, wore the same clothes every day. The reason is that God was teaching them that the good things he designed for them were figures of better things and that the happiness of man consists not in being clothed in purple and fine linen and in faring sumptuously every day, but in being taken into covenant and communion with God and in learning the righteous judgments. God's law, which was given to the to people of Israel, must be everything to them, not food and clothing. This is so crucial for us to understand. God is everything for us. We have to live on him. Um, we, we could see as we study Deuteronomy, we see many ways how it points to Christ. We see specifically in his text. You know, remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, it talks about how Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He fasted. He was fasting for 40 days. Towards the end, uh, Satan tempts him. He, he says, turn this, these stones into bread. 
Interesting how it was a physical, the temptation of the flesh, the physical need. And he was wanting him to pretty much say, just nourish yourself. You got the ability. You're God, do it. You know, just do it, do it your way. And totally going against what the Father would want. He's wanting him to just do it his own way. Make a way for yourself. Trust in yourself. You can do it, Jesus. You don't need God. But, but Jesus, we all know the story well. He pulls out his sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the only way we, we fight back against the lies and the, of Satan, that, the words that cause doubt, is to speak truth. So Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's basically saying, no. My nourishment is on God, the Father. We don't make a way for ourselves. We are to depend upon him as our only source of life, as as the Father. Um, Deuteronomy 8.3, also we see how it points to Christ in a way it ties in with John 1. Jesus says, we are to live on every word. John 1.1, as you all know, says, in the beginning, Jesus was the word. Verse 4, it says, in him was life. So I'm going to point out a few things how Christ... We see Christ in all of this in, in Deuteronomy. And according uh, to John chapter 6, it says Jesus is the bread of life, the manna from heaven that they are to live on. Um, in John chapter 6, we see, you know, uh, soon after the, um, the time whenever Jesus fed the 5,000, he had a lot of following, people kind of wandering around with Jesus because they were wanting a free handout. You know, if people are going to give you some food, you know, you're going to follow this guy. And they thought, man, this guy's going to kick out the Romans. He's already providing his food. What better, you know? What, what, what else do we need? Let's follow him. So Jesus knows this. And so Jesus speaks to that. In John six twenty six, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the son of man which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the, uh, on him, God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus is pointing to them, don't go after food that perishes. Focus on the food that endures to eternal life. We, he, he reiterates this later in verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he's pointing it back at him. They are to live on him. In verse 58 of the same chapter, it says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Only this bread, feeding on Christ, we will live forever. So they were going after temporal things, what so many of us do. But Jesus was pointing them, true life, our only source of life comes from God. This is so clear, so important for us. We need to feed on him daily, feeding on Christ daily. We will never hunger or thirst. So we've listed a few of these verses here. Remember, we're seeing what we are to remember. It's, first of all, he is the word and there's life in him. He is the manna, he is the bread of life. 
We are to feed on him and we will live forever. We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we see a lot of key things. So we've talked about what we are to remember. Now we're seeing why is it so important to remember. What is so life-giving about him and his word? Why is it so important? What is so life-giving about it? Why do we need to focus on him? I want to list really quickly some verses of why it is so important. First of all, the word creates life. 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the word creates life. The word of God builds faith. You all know the scripture. Romans 10, 17, faith, faith comes through what? Hearing and hearing through the word of God. The word is so important. It not only creates life, it builds our faith. The word of God gives us hope as well. Whatever was written in, I'm sorry, Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in the former days was written for instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. So the word gives us hope when we're discouraged. Living and digging into the word builds our hope, creates life, builds faith, gives us hope when time is so tough. The word of God is also a source of great and lasting joy. Psalms 1, 1, 2, and 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight, his joy, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. The word is our source of life. The word of God is also a source of great wisdom. Psalms 119, 98 to 100 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Amen. The word directs our path. In such a wicked society that we live in, the world we live in, our only source to know where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do, is in the word. The word in Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It's like <clears throat> everything's dark. And in order, in order to know where to go, you're, you have to have a light to shine your path just to know the next step. Sometimes God might not show you way in advance, probably because you'd be scared to death of what he wants you to do. So he always tells you what you're supposed to do next. He always guides you through his word. We have the wisdom. He, he leads us. We know his will through his word. He guides us and directs us in his word. We also see the word cuts to the heart and also discerns our motives. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we have to dig into the word, because it really exposes who we are, what we're thinking, right thinking or not, so we have to be digging in the word. The word exposes sin, Romans 7, 7. I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
Huh, go figure. The word of God leads us also to freedom. In the context of this uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 8, 32, it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth frees us from the bonding, from the destruction effects of sin. How important it is to be in the truth. The word of God also sanctifies us. It purifies us, makes us more like Christ and less like the the world. John 17, 7, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is also, as I mentioned before, our only weapon against the enemy. Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We can fight the doubts. It's interesting, whenever Jesus was in the desert, when he was tempted by Satan, each of the times he fought back, he spoke from Deuteronomy. He says, it is written, Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.16, and Deuteronomy 6.13. Those are the verses he used. So Jesus knew the word and he used it to fight back. So you see how valuable the word is, how life-giving it really is, and how important it is that we must be in the word. So important. But it's very, very easy to fall back into the thinking that this world will actually satisfy us. We said it, I said it already. Jesus says, do not go after the, the food that will perish. The, the things of this world will perish. The things you put your hope in will perish. The savings account, 401k, the, the new career, your education, you know, the, the good kids that you have. We could put our hope in so many things, but everything will disappoint eventually. But Jesus says, go after the food that endures to eternal life. Now, we saw, first of all, what we are to remember. Why is it so important to remember? Now, some practical ways. How do we remember? How do we feast on him? How do we live on the word? Now, John 6.35, point out again, says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, it's one thing to believe, intellectual knowledge, you know, you know a lot about who Christ is, know a lot about the word, but even Satan believes in Jesus. But it's interesting here, he also, Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So we see how a belief and coming to Jesus are together, how important it is. Now, we have to come to him. Let me fix this, sorry. I'm Mike. Coming to him means desiring him, wanting him personally, truly enjoying him, being nourished by him. We have to have that desire to want to come as well. I want to expound a little bit more what that looks like. Um, Look at Psalms 27, verse 4. Turn there while I get a sip or look at the screen. This verse, we sing it a lot, really describes this well, how, what does it mean to come to Jesus, to, to prepare our hearts, to, to, to desire him, to feed on him, to feast on him? One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So we see, first of all, one thing I've asked till he's asking the Lord, he's praying, he's wanting God to do something. But not only that, he's coupling that with seek. 
I'm praying, but I'm seeking after. He's putting his, his, his feet in the action. He's going. He's seeking after him, not just seeking God. I'm not just praying, but seeking after, studying him, digging into his word, looking, looking at him. Um, so what are we praying for? What are we seeking after? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So he's not just praying that what God would do something for him. He actually wants to be with God in his presence. A lot of time when you pray, it's like, Lord, just help me to have a good day at work. You know, help me pass this test. Help me have favor with my boss. You know, we're seeking the hands of God. We're wanting God to do something for us. And we, we are to do that. Lord, give us today our daily bread. We are also to pray for that. But the most important thing we need to pray for is that, God, I just want to be with you. I just want you. I, I just want to be, be in your presence. I just want to seek your face, not just your hands. I just want you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. And so, and while we're desiring that, and while we're seeking his presence and experience that, in our prayer, we also have to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We are to gaze upon it. And what does that mean? To gaze upon the beauty. Beauty is something we are attracted to. How much more attractive is God? The most attractive thing in all the universe. Let me explain. Now, <clears throat> we are to be intentionally looking at him through the reading of the word. That's the gazing upon him, seeking his, looking at his attributes, learning who he is, his character, his nature, seeing him for who he is in all of his glory. It's like a, uh, a, a, a painting. Any uh, paint um, admirers here, Monet or... I'm sure you can nail a lot more, but these two guys, very good. I'm impressed. But uh, when you look at a painting, if it's just all red, that would be kind of boring. But when you look at a painting, you see all the different colors, the textures, the details, how it all perfectly works together. When you see everything all together, then you admire what you're looking at, right? Now, when we're studying who God is, when we see all of who God is, all of his attributes combined, you know, his, his faithfulness, his omnipotence, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his mercy, and his love, when we see all, study all of who God is, we begin to be blown away. We stand in awe of him. And I like what, in the whole chapter of uh, that's 20, Psalms 27, you see David doing that, admiring God. In verse, I'm just naming a few things. In verse one, David sees the Lord as, as a light of his salvation and his strength. In verse three, David, uh, he says, despite the armies that are gathering against me, David has peace and confidence in God, right? In verse four, I'm sorry, guys, this is not up there, so don't keep digging, but it's the whole chapter. But in verse four, he recognized God as being approachable. Verse five, God is his protector. Verse seven, he, he, God is merciful. Uh, he even, um, it says in verse 10, even if his parents might abandon him, David knew the Lord would never abandon him. He was his protector, his Lord forever. Verse 11, we saw that God was a teacher and his leader. In, in verse 14, David saw the goodness of God. So as we study just who God is, we just, just, I encourage you to just dig deeper and just getting to know who he is and just enjoying him, gazing at his beauty, gazing upon him. Now, we see the beauty of the Lord 
incredibly manifest in Christ, in who he is, in his works, in his offices, in what he has done, in all what he's done for us on the cross as you dig and study um, more deeper of understanding of who we are as sinful people, but then realize that we, we begin to study his holiness and realize how unholy we really are. And as you study more of his holiness and how really, really unholy we are, it's like a cycle. But then you begin realizing he still loves me. Praise God. And it's like a, like a cycle. As we go deeper into who God is and we realize he still loves me, we, we are just so in, in, in awe of Christ. And as we look at the cross and how his justice and his, pers- his mercy, his justice and his mercy perfectly meet together at the cross. So as we study and look at him, we are beholding the beauty of the Lord. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And then the last part of this is to inquire in his temple. Inquire means to meditate on, to think about. So we're, 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 to dwell, we're just wanting to dwell in his in his, in his presence, to gaze upon his beauty as we study him, and then to meditate, to inquire, to really chew on as a, and go through over and over in your mind what, who, what this is, what this means, learning how good he is and, and growing more in, his, in, in, in meditating on him. We begin, begin to be changed. We get, begin to be humbled. We get, begin to be encouraged. And all this process, he's transforming us as we meditate on him in his presence. That's what it means to feast on the Lord. As a side note, I I like 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, as we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So as we're beholding him, gazing upon his, his glory, He's slowly changing us as well into his likeness, into his image from one degree to glory to the next, step by step. The more we are in his presence, the more we desire him, the more we will grow in love with him, we will also be growing more like him. He will be slowly changing us into his image. That's what we want anyway, right? That's what it means to feast on him. Now, we've looked at what are we to remember why is it important to remember? How do we remember? Have some application. Now we look at the consequences if we don't remember. Now, if, if, as, we, as we read, you saw the last half, basically from verses 11 to 20, um, <clears throat> Moses gave some warnings. And as you read it, you begin to study it, you see like a downward spiral going down and down and down. The first section here, in um, verses 11 to 16, he says, be careful. Once you get there, you know, you've eaten your full, you've built your houses, you've herds and flocks have multiplied, your silver and gold has multiplied. He's saying, um, you're, you're fat and happy. Be careful, because you're going to forget the Lord who rescued you. You're going to forget the source of life. Be careful. Now, that's the first step, the warning. The next step we see here, pride sets in. As you forget the Lord, pride sets in. Verses 17 to 18, it says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and my, the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. See, we see kind of the deceptive nature of 
wealth and riches and comfort because we begin to think maybe I'm the source of this. Look what I can do, you know? So we begin to think, you know, who needs God? I remember one time, some of you guys have heard this, but I used to work for a flying, Klein funeral home and there was a funeral. I, I did a lot of maintenance work, so I, just, I wasn't a mortician or nothing, but uh, I did some cutting, some grass cutting and stuff. <clears throat> and so um, I was there at one of the services and someone was playing this music at the funeral. It was a Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. And so my, my friend said, well, Matt, this guy's going to hell. So, so, <laughs> so it's like, man. But <clears throat> we begin to think like this, you know? We begin to, to think like this. You know, I'm the source of my own everything. I can depend upon me. Look what I can do. Do it your way. Have it your way. Burger King. You know, um, Burger King's going downhill for sure. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so, so anyway, we see the uh, destructive down, downward spiral, and it ends up with, in the end, destruction will come. Destruction will come. Okay? That's inevitable. Now, it's difficult because in life, it seems like everything is fine and dandy, possibly for your whole life. It might seem like it's fine and dandy until the end. Sometimes we, 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 we wonder, why is there so much trials in my life? Why can't I just be like this guy who's got everything perfect? God, why are you making me suffer now? That's actually God's mercy to cause suffering, making you dependent upon God, but this guy's not experiencing any suffering. You gotta wonder, um, what is more merciful? Let you think about that. But destruction will come. Verses 19 and 20 says, if you forget the Lord your God, you shall surely perish. This really is amazing how it points out, it kind of resembles one of the uh, four soils that Jesus described in Book of Mark. Do you, do you think you can guess which one? Which of the four soils? That's okay. Mark 4, 18 and 19 talks about the seed sown among thorns. It says, they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, amazing how that's so true, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. It's so true how the cares of this world can deceive us thinking we're a-okay, where all along we are not tapped into the source of life. I like to do a lot of pruning. My trees have a lot of trees around the house, and I prune, I'll cut the tree. Sometimes I'm lazy, I'll cut it, and I'll just let it lay there, okay? <laughs> and, or I tell, tell Levi to go pick it up, you know? But um, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, I, uh, it takes a while before you see the leaves on that to wilt. It takes a while before. It's like a slow, slow, sometimes a week. If it's really, really hot in the summer, it's not like two days, but, but sometimes it takes a while. So sometimes you don't notice the change your whole, the whole process, maybe your whole life. You don't see anything. So I, we can need to heed this warning. So the people of Israel were called to obey and be devoted to God alone. 
Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. For sure, you, if you studied the scripture at all, you realize that they did not heed these warnings. Um, they were, Israel was not able to follow through on their end. In fact, it was impossible to do. Um, it's interesting that in, um, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 16, we see that Moses already knows that they won't. God's telling Moses that they actually won't follow through. It says, um, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods and among them in the land, and they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. So he's telling them, they are going to reject me. In fact, in the next chapter, in chapter 32, God instructed Moses to write a song. So describing the whole chapter is a, is a song describing how the destruction. So I've asked Matt actually to, to sing that when we're finished I'm, te- I'm teasing. I didn't ask him. But, um, but it's really sad to see how, um, as you read the rest of the Old Testament, you see the downward, downward spiral of the destruction of the people of Israel, how they were even kicked out into exile. Now, it is amazing. We see how God did keep a remnant. Praise God. He kept a remnant. But it is so sad to see how they are kicked out, forced out. The problem is that of their hard hearts, selfish hearts, no desire for loving God, no desire for obeying. They're incapable of obeying and loving God. Um, we see the window of the universal condition of man's heart. But it's also very interesting here, the reasoning behind this is also found in Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. It says, To this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Interesting. Basically, God hasn't given them the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to change. Now, it's crucial for us to understand the reasoning behind this. Um, Through Israel, God was painting a picture, uh, 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 an illustration for all the world to see that in man's own strength and ability, man is incapable of pleasing God on his own to following the law, following the Ten Commandments in his own flesh. He clearly says that, verse 29, chapter 29, verse 4. Um, he wants us to understand this it's so clearly. that You see how it's played out through all the Old Testament. They were not able to. And he says, why? Because he did not give them a heart to be able to do that. Um, the t- truth is we need a Savior to save us from our sin, but you also need the giving of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live inside of us, to enable us to follow him. So what's also amazing, in Deuteronomy, we see also a glimmer of hope. In in chapter 30, verse 6, we see kind of the first glimpse of the promise of what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing. So um, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and you may live. So we see such great hope, even in the the giving of the destructive, this horrible news that they're going to be 
They're not going to be able to, but we see a glimmer of hope that God is going to be able to help them in the future. Now, we see um, um, this also mentioned in Ezekiel 36, and maybe some of you know that already, and, and, uh, 26 and 27, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we see the enabling power of what the Holy Spirit can do. Can I have a volunteer real quick to stand with me right here? Okay. Can you come here? Now, what was your name again? Hmm? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Imagine there's a, Nathaniel's here. Imagine there's a, a statue of Nathaniel right here. It's a stone cold statue. So we get the real Nathaniel and a stone statue of Nathaniel. What if I grabbed under his arm and pinch him the statue as hard as I can? What's going to happen to the statue? Nothing. But what if I take Nathaniel and I pinch as hard as I'm not going to do that. But I pinch as hard as I can. What would happen to Nathaniel? We'll get a reaction. Thank you, Nathaniel. We'll get a reaction from, he'll probably smack me. But what we see a depiction of what this is saying that that a heart that is changed before what was a stone heart that is, has no sensitivity to the spirit. You can enjoy your sin, live in it for the rest of your life. <clears throat> but if there's a heart change, a heart of flesh is put in, now you're sensitive to the spirit. Now you, are, you understand when you walk in the way you shouldn't go, the Holy Spirit reminds you, uh-uh, you can't go there. And so we see that what the heart change does. We see God's mercy that not only does he give us the law, but he gives us the ability to follow the law. Praise God. That's what the promise there is given. So praise God for that. So we see this actually fulfilled in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> now, what are some of the evidences of this? We see in um, some more evidence of the heart change. We see in 2 Corinthians 4, Verse 4, we see what a lost man, Paul is describing what a lost man looks like, okay? In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the lost man is blind to the glories of Christ. When he sees, here's the gospel, um, or maybe he's sitting in a service where you're expounding on the, the wonderful mercies and glorious, glorious truths of Christ, what he did for us on the cross. It's like, what time is this going to end? I'm kind of hungry. You know, it's like ho-hum. Who cares? No passion, no, no desire for the majesty and glory of Christ. Okay? Now we see what a, what a saved man looks like described in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a glorious representation of who God is, the glory and majesty of the Father in the flesh. We see the beauty of him, his majesty. So when our eyes are opened, when we see Christ, our heart feels that tug. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. All glory to God when you hear st stories of the gospel. So we see the difference here. Now, I just want to encourage you, you know, um, 
There's some, maybe some people in here who, you know, this is maybe your first time to hear this. And you say, you know, man, I've never experienced anything, you know, what you're saying. But I really want to. No, I, I really want to see that change. Praise God for you. God is working in you. I want to encourage you. Because I love what it says. Um, hang on, I'm sorry. It's like, I love what it says in uh, Matthew 5, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. It doesn't say those who are righteous already. But it says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So if that's your hunger, you're, you're hearing this for the first time. You're saying, Matt, I really want what, you, what you're telling me. I want to encourage you to push in, to repent, to cry out to Christ to save you and change you. And he will. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, there may be some people in here, you know, you, you might be a follower of, you know, your whole life. You've been in church your whole life. Um, but sometimes, you know, you, you do desire God. You do desire his word. But sometimes the, just the cares of this world sometimes can nug and you get tired and you get weary. I oftentimes fall into this category. You get so wrapped up in what's going on. I want to encourage you to really fight the fight of faith. You know, and I, as, as an elder here, I've been able to talk to many of you, many of the, of the members here, and I've, I've heard their struggles or hear the, the, the difficulties that they face, the trying to find time. But I want to tell you, it's worth it to fight, to make time to be with the Lord. Because the truth is, we make time for what is valuable to us. That's the truth. Now, <clears throat> sometimes we don't really th- maybe understand how important it is how the word, how important it is, how life-giving it is. So maybe we don't really haven't experienced or understood how important it is, but, but now you know how important this is to really live on the word of God. And I want to encourage you to fight, to dig, and to feed on, and feed on him, because that's where our life comes from, our source of strength comes from. Uh, I like what it says... Um, in uh, Psalms 19, verse 10, it says, more, the, the word is more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. The word is more important than anything, even gold. It says in uh, Proverbs 2, 4, it says, we are to seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Now imagine if you found some, some documents you, you, maybe your dad had or maybe something he didn't even know about, that there is some, some treasure Buried in your back, backyard is worth a billion buck, dollars, a billion dollars. Now, maybe you had some acreage, so it wouldn't be an easy, like, cookie-cutter house where, like, you got, like, five squares or, or just a little bit here. No, you got a big, some big acreage. You would think, well, I'll eventually get to that, you know. I'll, I'll start digging it up, I mean, eventually. No, if you knew you had that much cash, that much gold treasure hidden in your backyard... You would dig. You would get the kids to help you dig, right? Now, but it's saying how much more important is the word, life-giving, that we are to search for that like treasure. How much more? Because this is life. Eternal life is wrapped in this, our source of life, the way we can thrive in this life, in difficult trials, like, like you're like a tree planted by streams of living water, 
That's what the psalm says. Even when it's hot and scorching heat, the trials of life come, but your roots go deep into the streams of living water. That's where your life is source comes from. I want to encourage you to take the time. Because the truth is, I like Matthew 6.34. It says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We all know that, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. But Leviticus 3 says, 22 and 27, 22 and 23, says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We have new trials every day. We have new mercies every day. So we have to dig, dig, go after that. Let it nourish you. Let it replenish you. Let it thrive. Difficult times come. Sometimes, you know, for my, my own life, life, when, it's, when I have a hard time reading the scripture or finding time, I'll get a, uh, some, some audio Bible and read it on my way to work or when I'm doing my work at, at the job, some menial tasks. My boss is not here, but, <clears throat> but uh, I will listen to the Bible. No, I'm teasing Michael. <clears throat> so uh, uh, I make time because I know how life-giving it is and how important I personally need it. And I, um, there are times when I wane, but, but then it's like my, I begin to ache and moan. It's like, man, you idiot. Look what you're doing. You have to go, look what you're missing out on. And I have to tap out in again into the life-giving source of the word. And I'm so replenished. And praise God, he's changing me, making me better at that. I'm not perfect. Ask my wife. She'll tell you everything. But, but um, anyway, I want to encourage you to just pray that God will help you. Pray, Psalms 119.36, God, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to gain. I like the prayers of David. He's praying, Lord, Jesus, Lord, change me. Help me to desire your word and not to, to gain. I like Psalms 119.18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from the law. Sometimes it's like it may be getting boring, boring to you, but I love this prayer. It says, open my eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Psalms 86, 11, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, help me to fear you more. And Psalms 90, verse 14, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all the days. It's like, Lord, today, this morning, help me to be satisfied with you more. Help me to hunger more for your word. I often have to come back to these verses and, Lord, just revitalize me. Give me a passion for your word again so that I can want you more. And he does that. He answers my prayer over and over and over again. So I just hope that encourages you. Lord, I just pray that you'll move in a mighty way with our people. May we all just grow in maturity in Christ and realize that you are enough, Lord Jesus, this world will not satisfy. This world will deceive us, thinking that we can get our nourishment from these things. But I pray that we can really realize that our life comes from you. Help us all make time for you. Change us. Give us a passion for you, more of a desire for you. Um, unite us to fear you more, to hunger for your word, to be satisfied with you alone. May the things of this world go strangely dim, God, and we see more and more how glorious you are. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, do that.